Hey, welcome to the Winter Growth Challenge podcast. My name is Nick Anderson, and I will be doing a podcast series on the Gospel of John. Along with me will be various college students and young adults who have served the Lord faithfully at the Western Kentucky University Baptist Campus Ministry, also known as the WKUBCM. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Winter Growth Challenge Podcast. My name is Nick Anderson, and I am the community team leader of the Western Kentucky University Baptist Campus Ministry, WKU-BCM for short. So as the BCM, we are being challenged to read and reflect on the Gospel of John. And so, before I get started with this episode, I just want to divide this episode up into four different subsections, more or less. So one, we'll be talking about the background or context and the purpose of John. Two, the beginning of John. Three, the testimony of John the Baptist. And four, the calling of the first disciples. Now, let's dive into the book of John. First, let's get a little bit of context. So, in the Bible... There are 66 books written by 40 plus authors. But then, in this thing called the New Testament, we have four books that we call the Gospels. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are these four books. And so, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the, this combination of books called the Synoptic Gospels. And so, what do the Synoptic Gospels mean? whenever you hear it. And so here's what Pastor Andy Lawrence of the Point Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky says. But this is what we mean by synoptic gospel. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, and John kind of does his own thing, that the word synoptic means, optic means to see, like you understand that, optrician, you know, optic, lenses, we understand that. And then in, in the word sin, S-Y-N, just means together. So the synoptic gospels are working together to give us even, we could say this, a synopsis of the life of Jesus. But those gospels, they run parallel. That many of the same teachings and the events are found in those gospels, but just from a little different point of view. But John's doing something a little unique and a little different. We even see that today as we read in the text. The one difference even as we look at John is found in the things that are not recounted to us in the gospel of John. There's no account of Jesus' birth. There's no account of Jesus' baptism. Nothing about his temptation. There's not the institution of the Lord's Supper. That, um, that, That John just doesn't cover those things. But then yet John captures some some deeper teachings John captures some things about Jesus, especially in Jesus' final days and final hours and final moments of his life, his interaction with his disciples, his prayers and his teachings in those final times. But the other gospel writers, they want to capture a synopsis of Jesus' life and ministry. And what John's trying to do is John wants to do, he's thinking hard about this, being led by the Holy Spirit, no doubt to do this. Is not just to capture those events, but to give meaning to those events. It's not just a description of Jesus' life and ministry, and Jesus' miracles, and Jesus' interactions with people. But he really wants to step behind the scenes 
and give us the, the undergirding, the underpinning, the foundation of those things. And with that, into the podcast. So just a summary of what was said in that was that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were Gospels written that we could easily see parallels between them. These accounts written of Jesus in these Gospels are the same events and teachings except written from different points of view. We see that in the book of John, this is different. In the account that John writes, he writes a lot less of Jesus' everyday life, but instead narrows his focus. He decides to focus on the character of Jesus rather than the teachings and actions of Jesus. But I think the first question we must answer is why? Why did John write an account of Jesus' life in this way? I think that reason why John writes in this book is stated at the very end of the book in John chapter 21, 30 through 31. And it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So essentially, John is writing to us that we may believe. Adding to that, and we'll touch on this later, that we should come, see, and believe. This is a common theme here, that John wrote this book so that we may come, see who Christ, come to Jesus, see who he is, and believe in what who he says he is. And so, moving onward then, we get into John 1. And we have a reflection written by one of the student leaders from the BCM. Um, her name is Erin Sisk, and she is the discipleship team leader. And she wrote this uh, con- concerning John chapter 1. In John 1, we find that Jesus is the true light. Jesus cannot and will not be overcome by the darkness of sin and evil. Through God's creation of man, we have life because the sinless life Jesus lived and his death and resurrection. Followers of Christ can experience eternal life and light as well. Jesus' light illuminates our path and gives us the, the example of how to live a life that pleases God. Year-round, but especially at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus, the promised Savior, God with us, Emmanuel who gives light to all entering a dark and sinful world, we have hope that no matter how dark our world looks, the true light is still with us. It cannot be defeated by sin and death. Be encouraged by this truth and seek to walk in the light of Christ while holding on to the hope that he gives. So in John chapter 1, we see the beginning of the world, literally, and we see this thing called the Word. I'm going to ask this, what is the Word? So why does the writer John call Jesus the Word? What does the title, this title, tell us about who Jesus is? Here are a couple of things that we can take from this text of John chapter 1. That one, this Word is powerful because it helped create creation itself. Two, this title Word should tell us that Jesus is God. And finally, this word was with God in the beginning. In order to see this, we must turn back to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of all creation. We see, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And through this word, all things were made through him. The word that created all of the universe has now become flesh. It is a confusing thought that Jesus is 100% God and also, but also 100% man because the word didn't become flesh among us. John MacArthur is the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. But he writes this, Confusion about the deity of Christ is inexcusable because the biblical teaching regarding it is clear and unmistakable. Jesus Christ is the pre-existent Word who enjoys face-to-face -face communion and divine life with the Father and is himself God. It's a weird relationship because the Father and the Son are both God, but the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. Additionally, let's not forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also another character of God who was also from the beginning, uh, according to Genesis 1-2b. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, to confuse you even more, we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is God. But, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. God is the combination of all three of these individual characters. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we call this eternity. It's a very confusing topic. And it's difficult to wrap our head around. But we have to realize that these are three separate entities. But they work together in perfect unity. Because... They make up God, but none of them are each other. Moving onward, another word that is used to describe the word was the word light. What is this light and what is this darkness? As Erin's sister said in her uh, reflection, you know, just like that Jesus is the true light and that the darkness is basically sin and evil. But in order to understand any of this, we have to get to the deeper roots of things. So, the light is simply Jesus coming into the world to show the world his glory. In order to understand the light, we must back up once again to the very beginning, Genesis 1. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as we mentioned before. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, Genesis 1.26. And after creating the first two humans, God gave them the choice to either have a perfect relationship with him or to go on their own path. A man seeking their own interest rather than God's interest created a separation between God and man. And this separation is known as sin. Sin is the very thought, action, and environment that goes against God's will. And from there, we see all this brokenness all throughout the world. And this relationship with God is completely broken and wrecked and destroyed. But God pitied us and he had mercy on us because of the great love in which he loved us. He found a way for us to restore our relationship with him despite our rebellious nature of going against what he willed for us. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that you were raised up from the dead, you will be saved. 
but we also must repent. This means to actively turn away from our sin and run toward Christ. If we pursue Christ, our relationship with God will be restored and we will be with him forever and ever. I think another important note to note here is that why do we want to run from our sin? Why do we want to run from our rebellious nature? It's because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that if we do not cling to Christ, then we will all die a spiritual death, eternal separation from God, because God is good. And he must judge, and he must judge all sin and all evil acts of nature that is against him, that we deserve. We deserve all of that because we have sinned against him, and we deserve God's wrath. But in light of all of that, this is the gospel. This light in John 1 is God showing us his glory so that we might be saved, so that we might not have eternal separation from him, so that we might not face his wrath. This darkness that he talked about is the way of life we used to live without Christ. Once we have been enlightened, it is impossible for us to turn away. Because we see this light so much, has so much more to offer than the darkness. So what does the darkness provide? Darkness provides constant anxiety of where we go. And when you don't even know what's in the dark. Are there monsters ready to kill? etc. You walk around so lost and so empty and wonder if there's more to life than just walking around in darkness and stuff. However, this light also brought life. So I want you to imagine that you are in a big giant warehouse full of people and you all are so hungry that you all are walking around trying to look for any scrap of food that you can. And in the very corner of the room, there is this person, this chef, who is able to cook you anything you want. And you're trying to search for food around the warehouse, but then you spot the chef. And then the chef cooks you the best meal that you've ever had in your life. And then from there, you try to tell other people that you, that you have found food and that these starving people once they have tasted the food will want to kill other people as well and that is the ultimate goal of the gospel is that we are all hungry but yet there's only one that provides perfect satisfaction and that sin will lead to dead ends sin will run dry as we will talk about in john chapter 4 that you will have wells that will run dry. You will dig to the very, very last drop of water in that well. And yet, it, it will run dry. In John chapter 6, we see that Jesus is the bread of life. And that if you eat of this bread, you will never grow hungry again. And so, that's the picture that I was trying to portray. So, part 3, moving on to the next part. Why does John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God? Class, who is John the Baptist? John the Baptist was simply a man sent by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, and his name was Jesus. So there is a theologian and pastor by the name of John Piper. He is the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is what he said about John calling Jesus the Lamb of God in his sermon. 
Behold the Lamb of God. No ordinary human being can be the Lamb of God. No ordinary human being can take away the sin of the world. So everything, this is my understanding of the, of the composite of, of John's testimonies, everything he's saying by way of exalting Jesus is designed to show why he is a suitable Lamb of God. Why he can be the Lamb of God. Why he can take away the sin of the world. Everything he's saying about him is aiming at this. He is the Lord God of Isaiah 40. He is so great, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He is so infinitely superior to me. He is absolutely before me and ranks above me. And therefore, therefore, he is able to be the Lamb of God. Verse 29 again. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's going to repeat it. Look, at, look down at verses 35 to 36. Next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And this time, the testimony had its appointed effect. They left him. The whole point of John the Baptist is, leave me. Leave me. My whole testimony is him, him, him. Leave me. I'm gathering you that you might leave me. I'm baptizing you that you might leave me. That I might decrease and he might increase. And so it, it begins to happen and it happens very, very quickly. And John will soon be a zero in this gospel. Is there a lesson here for us? We who want to be somebody. There is. The whole emphasis, I believe, of John's testimony is aiming at this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is warning us here. Don't ever think that you or anybody else that has ever lived on this planet or will live on it, anybody else can take away the sin of the world. There is no other way for the sin of the world to be taken away than by the Lamb of God. And there is nobody else qualified to be the Lamb of God besides the one who came into the world as the very Word and the very Son of God. The Lamb of God had to be the God-man. The Word became flesh, and now we see the central reason why to take away the sin of the world. My apologies for not giving you a little bit of context. Uh, John Piper says in the clip, you know, no ordinary man can be the Lamb of God. And because of that, we must realize that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And that was John the Baptist's 
whole entire message that he was just a prophet telling others about someone who who was greater than he was because he he says later i mean like i must decrease so that jesus may increase john the baptist answers the people it's like i baptize you with water but among you stands one who you do not know talking about jesus even when he comes after me the strap of sandals i'm not worthy to untie and so just a humbling factor that john the baptist is pointing us towards someone who is greater than he is someone who is worthy of the praise that he is getting at this current moment and in this we must realize that john the baptist was preparing the way for the lamb of god which was jesus christ himself moving on finally to part four which is basically whenever jesus is calling his disciples you know so we'll go pick up in verse like 35 it says the next day john was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at jesus and he as he walked out and said behold the Lamb of God. But these two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. Came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two had heard John speak and followed Jesus. This was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also translates to rock. Tommy Johnson, the current campus minister of the WKUBCM, wrote in his book, The Journey of Discipleship becoming a disciple of jesus he wrote this concerning the passage that i just read the two disciples of john that took jesus up on his invitation stayed with him that day the text that it was about 10th hour which would likely would have made it about 4 p.m by the jewish clock two of john's students full of curiosity about jesus spent the day with him the effect was transforming one of the two was Andrew. You can sense Andrew's excitement in what happened next. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Andrew then brought his brother to Jesus. Simon may have been puzzled when Jesus looked at him and gave him a new name saying, You are the son of John and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. And Peter literally means rock or stone. These two brothers and Simon Peter, Andrew and Simon Peter, encountered Jesus. An encounter, in this sense, is a face-to-face, person-to-person meeting with someone. Encounters in life can be pivotal. An encounter with Jesus can be transforming. Let me repeat that last phrase. That encounters in life can be pivotal. And an encounter with Jesus can be transforming. In this life, we are called to follow Christ, but then also, we are also called to bring others alongside with us, and this is what we call discipleship. We must be a disciple of Jesus first in order to make disciples of 
Jesus because it's so easy to uh, be a sponge and to absorb all of this information but yet never quite have it click for you to take action. So I would encourage you all today that as we come to a close of this podcast that you would be like Andrew and be willing to invite others to see who this Christ is and that and not only that Simon was renamed to Peter meaning that his identity was completely changed and that in that his life was transformed from there and so we must follow Christ and be able to love him with all of our heart in order to share with others the good news that Christ has done for us. And later on, we see in the, the last part of John is that Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel about um, Jesus finding Philip and Philip, or Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And Philip, after Jesus says, follow me, went to go get his brother real fast, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was doubting. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth. Uh, but Nathaniel uh, came anyway because Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus spoke to Nathaniel as soon as Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Before Philip called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Jesus sees our heart and that our heart should be focused on him, but yet we still doubt. Nathaniel answered Jesus and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And just a reminder that it's like, you will see little things in life, more or less. You will see God bless you in so many ways. Like John Piper, the pastor that, that was recorded earlier, uh, said this, of God is working about 10,000 things in your life that you may eat that you may only notice three of them that in this last part we must be important we must be humble enough to recognize that that whatever little blessing that we have right now that if we see that one little blessing we can trust him with a lot more than just that and once we trust him a lot more than just that one little event or uh, situation that occurred in your life, then you get to see God's glory fulfilled. Thank you so much for listening to the What's Your Growth Challenge podcast. If you enjoyed, please leave us a rating. If you are interested in podcasting yourself, then I would encourage you to look into Anchor, the podcast software where you can upload, edit, and record your podcast. Another special thanks to the WKUBCM for making this What's Your Growth Challenge possible. Along with the full-time staff members, Tommy Johnson, the campus minister, Jeannie Atwood, the administrative assistant, Colin and Sarah Wood, international student ministers, Brad and Kate Clarity, campus minister, associate and intern, Maya DeHay, campus minister, associate, along with other interns, Carly Nunn, Noah Pike, Jake Fisher, Aaron Fisher, Harbis Ramanali, 
audio and sound engineer Gideon Martin, graphic design art Nick Anderson. And once again, thank you again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have a great day. Thank you.